You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Hey there, welcome back to the SPED Prep Academy podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer, and this podcast was created to provide special education teachers with the support and training you need to become a stronger leader for your staff and to help you become more effective and successful in your career. If special education is your calling and you are in this for the long haul, then this is the place to be. And I'm going to be right by your side, helping you learn everything you can about running a department and managing your staff. Whether you are just starting out in this field and are struggling with how to supervise and train your staff, or if you've been working in your position for a while and you just need some advice for how to begin building the department into a true team, I can help. I've created a 10-step guide to begin creating a team culture with your staff, and you can get it for free at www.spedprepacademy.com team. It includes 10 easy-to-implement steps to learn how to build the team you've always dreamed of, and I can speak from experience when I say that these 10 steps completely transformed my leadership abilities just a few short years ago. I went from feeling frustrated, burned out, and resentful to being highly confident in my leadership skills, knowing how to clearly communicate with my staff and building relationships that aided in high retention rates. And I want that for you as well. So again, just go to spedprepacademy.com team and get access to those 10 steps for free. Today's episode is dedicated to the alphabet soup acronym for the heart of our IEPs, the PLATH. In 27 years of teaching, I've heard it called the PLOP, the PLEP, and finally the PLAP, which is a little hard to pronounce, if I'm honest. PLAF. It kind of sounds like an Aflac commercial. We all know this section as the present levels of academic and functional performance, but what really does that even mean? Well, today I want to really dig into this area. What is it and what information should be included in this section of our IEPs? The present level section of an IEP is a starting point for all of the other parts of the IEP. In fact, there should not be anything in your IEP that isn't tied back to the present level section somewhere. For example, whatever goals you choose should be based on information from the PLAP. Whatever services you provide should be tied to the needs of the student, which should be written in the PLAP. Whatever accommodations or modifications the child needs should be tied back to the needs in the PLAP. So really, it is truly the meat and potatoes of the IEP, and it's where the bulk of information will lie. If an outsider were to read your IEP, would they get a good picture of your students just by reading the present level section? I cannot tell you how many IEPs I received from different teachers in different towns or states or really different teachers from within my own district where I look at the present levels and I, I just find the bare minimum. Short statements with no true picture of what the child can and cannot do. And it just, it kind of annoys me. So I want to help you do better with this because you may be writing them the way that you were taught and that's completely understandable. You might not know what you don't know. You might not have been taught the right way. So that's why I've taken it upon myself to educate you on how to write high quality present levels of performance. So within the present levels, it is broken down into health, motor, social and emotional, general intelligence, reading, math, written language, communication, functional living skills, and then if the child is nearing their 14th birthday, you could also have a section on transition. Now, before I go into each section, I just want to reiterate that there should not be any area left blank. And in my opinion, there shouldn't be any section that says just no concerns. 
You want to put as much information as you can in each section, even if that section isn't a concern for the student. And I'll go over how to do that in just a little bit. But those two words, no concern, should not be a standalone comment in any PLAP section. You also want to date any information that you do include because a new person reading the IEP will assume that the information is up to date. Now, you might know that your student, Benny, had a heart condition at age three and that the heart doctor does not feel it has an impact on his educational performance, but you still want it to be in the IEP so that everyone knows. But if you don't date it, it could look like he currently has a heart condition that needs to be addressed within the school day. I can't tell you how many times I've received an IEP that has either little to no information at all or has information, but it's old info, and it isn't even applicable to the student anymore. So just be sure that you are completing your present levels appropriately each year. So let's dive into each part, and I'll tell you what goes in each area, and then you can get an idea of the verbiage that I use. For health, this is where you're going to put in the vision and hearing results, any medications that the child takes and what they're for. You don't need to go into specifics about dosages because that can change frequently, but you do want to know from the parents what the child is taking so that you are aware of any side effects that may occur at school. We always include attendance in this section, stating that the child is generally healthy and attends school on a regular basis, or this child has missed 27 days of school this year due to being in the hospital for whatever reason. If the child has a diagnosis of any kind, you will list it in this area as well and list how it affects their health. This area will also include any seizure activity, feeding tubes, etc. Make sure that the nurse is involved with this present level statement if there are significant needs. Now, if the child doesn't have any concerns at all, no vision, no hearing, nothing, then the statement that you would put in the IEP, you're not going to put no concerns. The statement that you can write is, Benny has passed his vision and hearing screening according to the school nurse on such and such date. He does not take any medications at home or at school. He is a healthy child and attends school on a regular basis. And that's it. So you you made a statement to the team, to anyone reading it on the outside, can see that you put forth an effort to describe this child without just putting those two words, no concerns. The next section is motor. If the child has OT or PT services or even mobility services for a visual impairment, this is the section it will go in. The related service providers will put their information in the section and they will summarize it. And if the child doesn't have any motor concerns, you could say something like, Benny is able to fully participate in recess and physical activities, including physical education. He likes to play soccer at recess. His handwriting is immature but legible. There are no concerns in this area of motor skills. And then date it. For social and emotional, if there are concerns in this area, you will first need to list any strengths that the child has. And for me, this is the hardest section of the IEP to find strengths in because when you're dealing with a child who has behavior issues every day, it can sometimes be difficult to find those strengths, but they are there. And recognizing them will go a long way in developing that relationship with the parent and with developing a relationship with the child. This is where you're going to include the results of any behavior rating skills and the summary of those. Make sure to list how the behavior is impacting the student's education. If this area is not a concern, you can write something like, Benny demonstrates appropriate behavior in all educational settings. He follows the school discipline plan. He is polite and respectful to his teachers, and he gets along well with his peers, and then date it. 
For the general intelligence section, this section is entered by our school psychologist, and I don't even try to summarize it during an annual. I pull out the strengths and weaknesses and how it's impacting their learning, but I don't summarize the data every year. During an initial evaluation or a three-year reevaluation, the school psychologist goes over this information in detail. If you don't have a school psych or if you are the one responsible for reporting this information, just make sure you summarize the data in parent-friendly language and always tie it back to their general education performance. For reading, math, and written language, for each of these sections, I organize the data to make it easy to read for parents and for myself and the teacher. These sections will house a lot of information. And if you don't have headings or subheadings or underlining or bold words, it can be really, really overwhelming. Include the most current achievement testing results with summaries. Make sure to include any current testing for district, state, or building, and then summarize what that data means. A percentile score means nothing to a parent. And then you're going to always tie this information back to the IEP goals. To get baseline data for goals, I have a product in my TPT store called a survey level assessment where you can drill down and find the exact skills the student does and does not know. And I use this data for every IEP I write. I'll link that in the show notes. And then if you have a section that a student doesn't qualify in, say they qualify in reading and written language, but not in math, I go ahead and put the testing information from the achievement tests that were given and a short statement that they don't qualify for services in that area. A child can still have accommodations for an area that they don't qualify for, but they wouldn't have a goal. For communication, the speech and language pathologist should enter this information and summarize it, but as the primary provider, it is your responsibility to make sure that that data has been entered correctly. If there's no concerns and there's no SLP involved with the child, I write up something that says, Benny is able to communicate his needs and wants appropriately within all educational settings. He does not qualify, nor is he in need of speech and language services, and then date it. And the last section is the functional living skills. In this section, if the child does not have any needs, I would write something like, Benny is able to feed and clothe himself and is able to take care of all of his toileting needs independently. There are no concerns in this area. If there are concerns, simply list them out and add in any strengths that you can find. For example, Benny can independently put on his shoes and coat, but he needs assistance with tying his shoes and zipping his coat. He is able to attend to his bathroom needs independently, but he needs help rebuttoning his pants. Make certain that for any goal that you have, that you have matching data within the present levels to justify the need for that goal. Now, another thing I want to talk about when it comes to the present levels of performance is that the IEP should be a working document that has input from every single stakeholder. The parents, the student, the teachers, the nurse, counselor, anybody that's involved with the child should be giving their input into these present levels of performance. So like I said, you will have related service providers who are inputting data on motor skills, communication, and most likely there will be a school psychologist who is entering your cognitive data. But you're also going to be getting input from the parents about how they feel their child is progressing, what skills they have at home, and what skills they feel the child is ready to start learning. And then you're going to always want to get input from the general education teacher. You want to know how they're performing in the general education setting with and without a paraprofessional present. And then if you think that you're done there, then you have just missed the most important piece of information, input from the student themselves. As most of us go through our degree programs, we are taught that once a student closes in on 13 years of age, that they become involved in the IEP process. 
and they'll be invited to the meeting. They'll be given questionnaires about their future goals, how they learn best, and their current ability to take care of themselves on an independent basis. And that is great. But what about those younger kids? Why can't they be a part of this process as well? And I understand that attending an hour-long meeting with a room full of scary adults is not in their best interest, and that's not what I'm implying. But this document is about them and for them, and therefore it needs to include them in the development of it. So you can do quick little surveys or interviews of the student. Just just ask them what their favorite subject is. Ask them what they enjoy doing at school. Ask them if they have friends. Ask them any problems that they're having at school. Just get their input so that you can include it in the IEP because, like I said, they are the most important piece of this. So I know I've said a lot that the present level should align perfectly with the IEP. The present level is part of the IEP, but there's also other parts of the IEP that need to align with the present levels. The goals should be written based on the information in the present levels of performance. The accommodations and modifications should be based on the needs that are indicated within the present levels. The services should reflect the needs that are written within the present levels. The assistive technology should already be listed in the present levels. So like I said earlier, it is the starting point for the whole IEP and it holds all the gold. It holds so much valuable information because it's where the teacher can try their best to sum up a living, breathing child into just a few pages. And that's not an easy feat. We have to do a better job of completing these sections. So my best piece of advice is to write the present levels as if you were writing it for your own child. If you were the parent writing about your child, you would talk them up. You would tell how smart they are, how they can count to a hundred. You would find as many strengths as you possibly could for your child. And so keep that in mind. You are reporting about someone's child and an IEP meeting is hard for parents. They are trusting you with the best that they have and they don't always understand the jargon, how all of this is going to tie together in the end. So it's your job as the special education teacher, as the case manager to tie it all back together and with one great, big, nice, pretty red bow. My rule of thumb and something that I I learned early in my career that I remember every time I write an IEP is that any piece of information should be included in that IEP at least twice. So if it's listed in the present levels, you're covered, and then you're just going to tie it to somewhere else in the IEP. And I think that the present levels is the part that hangs us up the most often. It's the part that takes the longest. So I hope by listening to this episode that I've given you some things to think about that you can take and to put into action into your IEP writing immediately. Thank you for sticking with me until the end. I can tell just by listening to this show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator. And I'm here for it. I'm here for you, and I am so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast and want to share it with friends, go ahead and screenshot an image of your favorite episode and tag me on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. They give an instant boost to my ego and they help others find the podcast as well. And then make sure you're following me on Instagram. I love to use that platform to add a little humor to our crazy days, as well as to provide you with motivation to get through the tough days, training on all sorts of topics that we need to know, and just overall support for what you do. You can find me on Instagram at Sped Prep Academy, and I've recently got into making some reels. They are way out of my comfort zone, but they're so fun to make. So make sure you check that out. If you liked what you heard today and realized you have found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast 
to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.